to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I've lived with type 1 diabetes for decades and enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living with this disease. Before we dive into this episode, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit, charitable organization. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just purchase a copy of Doing Diabetes Differently or click the donate link on my website. Number two, stay engaged on all things social media, sign up for the e-newsletter, and subscribe to my newly updated YouTube channel where this episode will soon be live. Enough rambling. Let's get started. Today's guest, Happy Semenya, is in her final year of law school, is an IDF young leader in diabetes training, a DDoc voice, a professional advisor for the Luna Project UK, and a strong diabetes advocate. We connected on LinkedIn after reading her mindful post about lowering her A1C. She has a story to tell, and I'm happy to share it. Welcome to the show, Tappy. Tell us a little bit where you're calling in from. Hi, thank you for having me. I am calling in from Bulukwani in the Limpopo province of South Africa. That, oh, wow. Wow. I knew you were in South Africa. I did not know that. That is, forgive my ignorance, is that a rural community? No, so Purukwani is a city. We have nine provinces, so it's about like it's another city, but it's like three hours away from like our capital city, which is Pretoria. Yeah, but it's not a rural area. We do have rural parts of it, but I'm situated in a very suburb metropolitan part of it. Oh, and that will come into play here in a minute whenever I ask a few questions. So I want to start with, like every guest, let's talk about your diagnosis story, because I'm always fascinated with being diagnosed in other countries and what does that look like? So basically, I was six years old. I was obviously starting like first part of like primary school. Mm-hmm. And that day, I remember, I remember it like it was like yesterday. And basically, I was sick. I was throwing up. I was nauseous. Mm-hmm. I was all the symptoms of what a normal person living with diabetes would have. And then I was immediately taken to a doctor. When I got there, it was 29 point something at the time. And he was like, no, no, you need to rush to a hospital. So at that time, we were living in another, it's not a city, but it's another part of the province in which we stay in. But it didn't have the necessary resources for them to put me into the hospital there. So we had to drive at least like, I think it was an hour and a half, which is back to Pulukwani at the time. Mm -hmm. And we had to go to a hospital. And then when I got there, they said to me, look, you are diabetic and you actually like the first person. So I was the first person in my family to have diabetes. Mm-hmm. And they gave us basically what any other diagnosis, like they just told us what it was about. I got a good like diagnosis. I don't have like, I was obviously diagnosed in DKA. So we got the necessary information that we needed to know. I got the best treatment. You know, I know people who have like terrible diagnosis stories where people don't get the relevant information. Mm-hmm. But I got the relevant information. I was told what to do. I saw all the specialists. I stayed in the hospital for about like seven days yeah. and like got the background of what diabetes is. And my parents got the therapy, counseling as well. Mm-hmm. And then we went back home and it was as if nothing had happened. And it was just, you know, back to normal. <laughs> Amazing, you know. That's crazy. And yeah, we just continued. And it felt good, you know, because normally the norm is you get this terrible condition and the next thing you just diagnosed and you have no information on it and it's like they are go by yeah but that wasn't the case with me well okay so that's wonderful because like you just touched on a lot of people don't get I'm going to say a positive diagnosis story but the proper education in order when they do go home 
to live a new normal life or whatever that's going to look like. You said you spent seven days. What type of diabetes management did they give you at that time? What type of insulins and things were you put on? So it's analogs still. My first very insulin was Apidra and Lantus. So that was my first injections. And obviously then you get like, you know, like other things as well, like the education that you have. I saw a dietitian, I saw a diabetes specialist, I saw an endo, I got to see a, and I was allocated a nurse for a few days, just like any other person. So I was very fortunate, I must say. And when they did diagnose you, excuse me, when they diagnosed you, did they specify that it was type one? Yes. Okay. Because yes, some people are diagnosed with just diabetes as a blanket, you know, as a blank mm. statement. I'm like, wow, that's not giving you much information. But okay. So fast forward, you've had diabetes, what, for 16 years? Um, 17 years this year. <laughs> that's right. You just had a anniversary, yeah. right? Yeah. Just in August. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about your current diabetes management. Because as we know, and as we get older, things change and your diabetes management should as well. Well, let me say, I had a period of denial. I had a time when, and this is all coming from the fact that I had like an easygoing diagnosis story, you know, and diagnosis period. My parents were there to look after me. And then obviously in my teenage years, puberty hit and I was like, what is this? I'm not diabetic. <laughs> I am not this thing. I don't know what diabetes is. Get mm. it away from me. So it was very difficult. I think it took me time. And then I decided to now fix my life in my late high school years. So like my first job university. And that's when I was like, okay, you know what? Like I need to start doing, getting things right because I can't live like this. There were times I wasn't taking insulin for like a month and I'll be so ill after that. Yeah, I've experimented. I've done it all. I've eaten sugar. I've eating my sweets, everything that you're not supposed to do, I did. And yeah, I'm not proud of it or anything like that, but I think it's also part of my story. It's part of why I am the way that I am and why I was able to achieve this HbA1c this year, you know? We're going to jump into that. Let me say too, like, okay, and when you said that you were in denial, I think that then the way that you're articulating that in this statement, it's my words, not yours, obviously, but it's you're rebelling. You're like, screw this. And- I don't want to have to deal with this. And so during that period of time, and for anybody that's had a high blood sugar, you know, you don't feel well. So were you like, even though you're rebelling, were you like, damn it, I feel terrible. What am I doing? Did you shame yourself through that? Yeah. I mean, I think also because I mean, you lose like weights and stuff like that. So it was evident on my body. And there were like a lot of times when like my fellow classmates would be like, oh, you're so tall and skinny. You look like a giraffe. And I'll be like, yeah, well, it is what it is. You know, I just convinced myself that it is what it is. Like, I don't have to deal with this right now. I want to be like the normal average child. So Mm. why can't I be like that? But of course, it, it got to a point where I'd be like extremely ill and that's when it kind of hits that, okay, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And yeah, it, it's like a drawback, basically. That's okay. That's fascinating. To, let me ask this, and this again, for, forgive my ignorance. And I've only learned about this in the past, oh, seven or plus years is diabulimia. So keeping your blood sugars while you hide to lose weight. Do you feel like you were in that type of mental cycle? Because obviously you saw the bit, I'm going to say benefits, but the reaction of your actions. So yeah, did you think about that at all? I mean, I've only started hearing about this term about like last year as well. So I was fascinated when I first heard about it. But I do truly believe that it was something I was going through. 
because I mean I did grow up really skinny and like I've been skinny my whole entire life I've never had like weight gains or anything like that so I do think at a certain point I've always just wanted to keep my body at a certain weight goal Mm -hmm. and it could have been that it could have been but obviously I've never had a proper diagnosis on that but rather my other mental conditions yeah Well, and we can touch on that if you want to, but I want to go into, okay, so going back to your current diabetes management, do you have access to a CGM? Do you have access to an insulin pump? What is the insulin regimen that you currently use? Okay, so currently I am, I do have access to um, a CGM. I'm currently using the Dexcom G7, fortunately for me, which is not something that is as a norm in South Africa. We are struggling with the continuous glucose monitors and you know, I would just be chosen as one of those people to get it as like a blessing for me. And I believe this is also part of the reason why my diabetes management has improved tremendously. But right now, my medical insurance company won't cover for an insulin pump. So I don't have access to add to that. It is there, but mm. I can't afford it through just buying it. And then my normal regime regime is just that like using my continuous glucose monitor. And then I'm currently on Nova Rapid and Opticillin. So still generics of like, not generics necessarily, yeah. but the cheapest option, basically. Yeah. But I find that it works. It, it does work for me because I've been on it for, I don't know, 12 years now. Okay. Um, Ever since the Apidra and the Lantus. So okay. it's been working. Okay. So going back to the, your thankfully on the Dexcom G7, I want to say G5 because it's like a, Dexcom for so long but with that being said you're paying out of pocket for it correct no so currently my yeah it's covered by my medical insurance company as well okay well that's that's great and if you were to say and this is not a plug for Dexcom and they're not paying us to say this but what bells and whistles about that device have helped you lower your a1c I mean the alarms I Mm -hmm. I struggle with hypoglycemia a lot so for me, it was the biggest problem in my management. And then I would also have moments of um, hyperglycemia. So it's just a bit of both. Yeah. So for me, the alarms are tremendously helpful. Like for me, that is the plus for, for me. No doubt. Yeah. And then also, I think just the continuous checking, because now, I mean, obviously, once you see that graph going to like a 14 or something like that, I start panicking and I'm like, okay, no, I need to work on my, you know, I yeah. need to work on it instantly. So for me, it's that the element of just having to see that real time, you know, another number there. And it's always there. Five minutes is, I mean, it's not a lot, it's like huge time, but I just feel as though it really is beneficial, even though it's sometimes it can be annoying that you have to constantly just look at it go up and then you see it go down and you're like, oh, like, oh, oh no. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes you're rage boilers and it's like, oh, oh gosh, I shouldn't have done that. But yeah. You see, that's the thing about it. So it does have its pros and cons, I think. There is no doubt. I got to say, just from my personal experience this morning is my blood sugar was a little high before I wanted to eat breakfast. So I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, I'm going to go ahead and give some insulin. I'm going to lay down for a second. I set an alarm. I was like, I'm going to give the insulin time to kick in before I start breakfast. And I was like, okay, 154 arrows trending down. I've got this. By the time I sat down to eat, it was 78 with double arrows down. I'm like, son of a bitch. Like, you know what I mean, like I can't win here. I mean, but exactly. and it was like, Amber, don't, don't go crazy. Don't drink all the yeah. orange juice. Don't do anything. You know, you've got food in your system and it's like this balancing act. And I was like, oh God, but I was happy to see those things because it gave me time to react 
and hopefully not overreact, but <laughs> let's talk about the fact that in your LinkedIn post and good on you, that took a lot of courage. I mean, that's a very vulnerable, you talked about at one point, your A1C was what a 16. Yeah. I honestly did not know it could go that high mm -hmm. and thank you for sharing that. But now you're down to what a 6.2. Yes. Talk about the difference in how you feel now versus then mentally and physically. I mean, mentally, I feel great. I am at a point of contentment. I'm at that point of, you know what, this is my condition. Like nobody can tell me anything about it. I think I've gone through both the good and the bad. And I've learned through my mistakes. Some of them weren't mistakes. They were intentional. I must admit that's something that takes a lot of courage to admit. It it's a life lesson. It's a, it's a step. Yeah. 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 So for me at the time, obviously younger, I wasn't thinking, I mean, I also don't know that someone's HbA1c could actually be 16 until I actually prove that fact. So it was a thing of, you know what, like I need to work on myself. And I think if there's one person I have to really thank, it's my, there was an incident that happened to me in my first year of university. And I remember lying, I went to a hospital and I was there for like three weeks due to, mm -hmm. uh, it was DKA and a couple of other things. It was a mess. And so the doctor that I had was this lady who's also diabetic. She's currently my, my endo. And she was screaming at me. I remember the first time I woke up, I was in a coma for four days, <laughs> for four days. And the first thing she did is she screamed at me. And she was like, no, you were literally vomiting on me. And I was like, ooh, like, this is not the first thing I want to hear. Like, <laughs> so no, but like we are literally like best friends now. And I truly appreciate that shouting and screaming that you did to me because now I'm like, okay, you know what? I do need to take myself seriously. I need to take this condition seriously. I mean, I can't afford to be in a space where I am tied up to machines or, you yeah. know, I think we as diabetics, we I like to say, I use the comparison of being a robot and we're being charged mm -hmm. in the hospital and there's this, all these machines all around you. Like I can't afford to see myself like that anymore. And yeah. I took that stepping stone to say, you know what, I need to work on myself. I need to work on avoiding going to the hospital. I think right now that is my biggest fear. Mm. And it used to be a thing of me going there every single month. So I couldn't do that anymore. I don't want to picture myself like that anymore. So that was truly the meaning behind that post that no matter how difficult it does get, you know, just work on yourself. You reach a point of getting out of that denial phase. Trust me, it happens. I got out of it and I was so glad that I did because I can't imagine if now, I don't know, I have a diabetes complications or something like that. That would be the worst for me personally. And I'm not saying that anybody who has complications, it's the worst thing in the world because it's not. Yeah. But there are things we need to prevent before we get there. You know, if you are fortunate enough to not have gotten there, so just take care of yourself and, you know, look after yourself and do what's best for you. And no matter the time, it can be over three years or four years. It doesn't matter, but right. it, you will get there eventually. Well, and I want to read something and I'm not going to go into great detail with it. I'm not going to read it word okay. for word, but as I said, your LinkedIn post got a lot of attention and this person, I don't know if he'd appreciate me saying his name, so I'm being respectful, but he says, you know, what were the changes? What led to them or supported them? What were the barriers you faced? What, did, how did you do it? So I think that, I mean, there are a lot of questions and not something that we can yeah. obviously cover it all in this podcast, but, and you know, it says, and the last one he put is what is now your plan to sustain this incredible mm -hmm. achievement? So let's speak to that. Like, 
what's your motive? I mean, obviously your motivation is to feel good and to see that number stay mm-hmm. there or lower. I hope you give yourself a pat on, do you give yourself a pat on the back? You've made it this far. I mean, it's difficult to acknowledge something like this. I'm not one to just be, I don't celebrate my work like that, like all the time. Mm-hmm. So this was something I was like, okay, yes, I'm going to celebrate. Obviously I bought cake and ate the wrong thing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to go back into doing the bad things. No, no. Right. It's just the thing for the moment, you know? So yeah, I, I did celebrate it. It was a big milestone for me. Is there anything in particular that, like that you shifted to get your A1C? Was it you cut out speeds or you exercised or you, you know, so was there any like a tip or trick that you could give someone a piece of advice? Okay. So it's, it's a whole lot of things. Mindset wise, obviously it had had to do with a lot of therapy that I had to go to. I had started therapy at a very young age because I was, as I said, in denial. So my parents started me off from when I was diagnosed and at the time it was, yeah, I was still very rebellious. But now when I took the steps to go there as an individual without my parents having to push me, I think it worked much more better. Mm-hmm. And then also the whole factor of community, you know, I think I love the word collaboration. That's my mm-hmm. my ultimate goal. Like for me, if anybody says to me, Tuppy, let's collaborate, I get so excited. So <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's an it's awesome great. thing because I'm, yeah, no, it's because I'm an only child. So I, I guess it's like <laughs> forming friendships. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, so I love the whole concept of collaboration that, you know what, we don't have to do this alone. You know, you can mm-hmm. get to do this with other people, you know, share with other people. I'm not doing this to brag or, you know, to say to people, look, now I'm at 6.2, you are still at whatever. No, but that is what it's perceived like on social media. I won't lie to you. That's how it's perceived on Instagram. And this is why people don't post such things on social media anymore, because there's this negative connotation associated with it. But I must say, I did a lot of exercise. I did a lot of diet changes. Still stuck to my traditional diets, very much so. I won't lie. But then obviously, like portions, mm. we did a lot of alternative medicines with my family. This is not something I'm, I talk a lot about because I feel like also a lot of negative connotations mm-hmm. about it. Like the cinnamon thing, but not that I take cinnamon, but I'm just saying like the cinnamon thing. Yeah. a lot More of- holistic or na- like naturopathic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm so, with you. Yeah, so I did a lot of that and I found that it works for me. And then obviously a lot of like now, obviously, as I said, the CGM kind of helped me a lot as well Mm because then I got to not be in control. I know people don't like the word being in control of your condition, but yeah, I got to be in control of my condition in a way. Yeah, it just took a lot of, yeah, like I I could see where I I needed to work on. It was a step of, you know, looking at, what I needed to work on. So a lot of like SWOT analysis kind of a thing and mm-hmm. looking at my strengths and weaknesses and okay, if this this is a weakness, then I have to make it into an opportunity, you know, and my threats. So I know I like my traditional foods. So I needed to find a way to incorporate that into my diet, but still make it work for my condition. So obviously I did that through portioning. I don't carb count because it's very difficult to carb count for traditional foods. I have to so, stop yeah. you really quick because I'm very curious. Give me a couple of examples of what is a traditional South African food. Okay. One of them is mealy meal, which is like, we call it bup. It's mealy meal. So it's just maize and mm. it's made out of corn. So yeah. They, they, yeah, they make it like as grainy as possible. And then we cook it and it's the starchy food. It's really starchy. I think like two cups of it is like a hundred grams of carbs. Ooh. And 
we use two cups to cook for like it and then you still use another three cups in it so it's a whole lot of carbs <laughs> yeah and it's my favorite I can't like I can't lie about it it's my favorite because it's what I grew up on and then another thing is like your pasta your mm-hmm. rice what else is another traditional food I would yeah like those sort of foods are okay let me ask yeah. you really quick and this is just like and we're going to get into another section here in a second but mm-hmm. like I just recently introduced pasta back into my life because I've always been a low carb person, but I choose my carbs wisely. I'd like to believe my body might say otherwise, but like chickpea pasta and other things like that. So it's made with a different base. Mm -hmm. Do you have access Mm -hmm. to that in South Africa? Yes. We do have like gluten-free. So, but obviously we aren't all going to afford it, but as I said, yeah, the, the economy doesn't allow for that. So if I had lived in another area, as I said, I live in the suburbs, so we have access. I can walk to the supermarkets or like the convenience store. But if I lived in like a rural area, I have to travel 20 kilometers out yeah. to go buy such food. So it just it's very dependent on your where you stand as a family. Well, and that was that's the standard question that I ask these days is do you have access to healthy foods within a walking two mile walking distance? And obviously yes. you do, which is great. That gives you a lot more freedom. Now, here's a question that I don't ask often, but because in the U.S. it is Black History Month, mm-hmm. do you feel as a Black woman that you received proper care upon diagnosis and throughout your diabetes journey? At my diagnosis, yes. Throughout, no. Because even though I was given, like, I'm on, as I said, I'm on my mother's uh, medical insurance company, mm-hmm. yeah plan and it's one of the highest on the on the system but I still cannot access different technologies because of the color of my skin I cannot receive the relevant care you know an example was that one of my neighbors we live with them because we live in like a complex yeah so it's like townhouses and everything like that one of my neighbor's grandson got diagnosed just a week ago so two weeks ago and if I was diagnosed around about the same time as him I wouldn't get the Dexcom as easy as he would, you know, whereas he, when you diagnose, you give him the option. You even asked, what plan are you on? Which medical aid insurance company are you using? You know, things like that. But as for me, I'm judged upon the color of my skin. So it's just, oh, no, you cannot afford it. Surely not. You know, you don't, you cannot get this, you know. So it's not equal, which is sad. I truly find that really sad because it shouldn't be dependent on that. I truly understand that the CGM is not affordable. I do. But if a family can afford it, why are we not given the right to use it? Why are we not given the opportunity to access it? Whereas it is accessible and I am able to afford it, but I'm not given the opportunity to learn about it. Wow. That is well said. Is your insulin affordable? It is. It is. And also the benefit with this medical insurance company that I'm with is that you get it like whether your medical aid, your medical insurance finishes or not, I still get my chronic medication even out of the, I don't need to co- pay co-payments or anything like that. So that's the benefit of it. So in regards to my insulin, but also remember I'm using the cheapest. If I was using yeah. Fiasp or Chisiba, I would have to pay out of pocket for it. I'd be curious, and I don't know that you would know this off the top of your head, but Mm -hmm. how much that would cost you out of pocket. Okay, so that's about... Pulling out a calculator? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate Uh, your diligence with that. (laughs) So like $22 extra, like out of my pocket. 
Okay. Which is not bad. It's not bad at all. It adds up um, though. I mean, depending on how much you use every month. Yeah. No, 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 but this is a box of six. Okay. So yeah, so it's a pen, six pens. It's $22. Whereas you guys in America pay way more for that. Oh, there's no doubt. There is no yeah. doubt. I'm not going to get into that because that's like seven podcasts in a row. And one of the things when we initially chatted, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot, is South Africa does not recognize diabetes as a disability, even as an amputee. And I want to jump into and your role as a diabetes advocate, because it's mm-hmm. you're doing it on a global level, obviously, but tell me what you're doing for people living with diabetes in South Africa? I guess that is a very, very tough topic to fight. It's like mm. the different insulin, I mean, the laws you guys have in the different states. Yeah. So for us, it's very much like that. It's it's very difficult to convince the government on that because we have so many other conditions that are mm. much more, well, not much more dangerous because, I mean, diabetes is also very dangerous, you know? Yeah. But we have malaria. Where yeah. I live, we have a huge case, like amount of malaria cases. So obviously diabetes is not recognized because then again, I always say to people, if somebody doesn't have a condition, would they advocate for it as much as if I am living with it? Or is it that, you know, what is the case? But if I am a minister of health and I am living with diabetes, I'm obviously going to make sure that diabetes is top priority and it's, it's given the attention that it needs. So even if we pull up the numbers and we say 5 million people are, are dying daily, you know, or yearly or whatever, they still not want to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. So for me, my plan is obviously, I'm not trying to change policies as yet. I think that is a very difficult thing to achieve. But obviously, because of the lack of education, if people are more educated about it, and we get more people to stand together and to talk about it, it's just like the, how they fought for HIV yeah. and AIDS. If people can talk about it and actually start bundling up, we can actually get people to make policy changes. But if we cannot achieve that level of understanding and education and awareness, obviously then it becomes, it's like a barrier. We cannot go out there and want to go make policy changes. So we need to start from the bottom up. And obviously the bottom being everyone living with diabetes. Yeah. And then their families. And then we can go on to saying, okay, now we can go into our local health clinics. And then from there, we can go to our local, what you call this, our provincial levels. And yeah. then a national, you know. So we can't start from national down. No, that's a bit impossible. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me ask you, and I want you to talk about the acronym. I can't even say the words right now. Define IDF and is being a young leader in diabetes trainee, is mm-hmm. that a part of your advocacy efforts? Yes. So currently it is. So with the IDF right now, the International Diabetes Federation, mm-hmm. this program enables us to start like a program for our country at country level to advocate and obviously to spread our advocacy efforts towards our communities. So it's basically up- uplifting our communities through advocacy and campaigns and just starting projects that help our local communities it doesn't have to be at a national level but because I mean I live in a very small community I mean even though our province is huge but not a lot of people live with diabetes in my community so this is where I need to start and kind of gather people together whereas I cannot start in another province which already has advocacy workshops and all these things so yeah IDF is, is a way to kind of help people 
empower and you know build up other people living with diabetes in our local communities. Oh, that's great. Well, do you, because you have no family history of diabetes, any conspiracy thoughts on why, how you got type one? Do you have an idea as to why you might've had the pleasure of having type one diabetes? So I was saying that it's not for my near parents and it's not for my great grandparents. So the theory that we have is that it's coming from my father's side of the family. And it's one of like my great, great grandparents, because one of like I have a half sister and she also went to go get like, she had blood tests done. So hmm. she confirmed it for us. So she's a half sister from my father's side of the family. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm going to wrap up this episode with saying thank you for sharing your story and for putting it on LinkedIn, but also for those who, because you are such a positive influence and advocate, pieces of advice for those who may, I'm not going to even be, be struggling, but are trying to do something to better manage their diabetes. What would you say? Okay. Firstly, do what works for you. That's number one. I often feel as though people try to do what other people are doing and that often doesn't work. Secondly, it's also to do with the first one. What works for me won't necessarily work for you. So you can change your insulin regime and you can do all the exercise in the world, but if it's not going to work, it doesn't work. So just change and do what works for you. And those are just two of my common sayings and yeah, two pieces of advice. Both very valid. And I appreciate that. Well, Tavi, thank you so much for being a guest. And I look forward to following all of your advocacy efforts. And like I gotta tell you, and I know that South Africa is a very large country. I sound so ignorant. It's unreal. Good God. Sorry, spirit on that one. But you may see me in the future because I want to travel extensively to meet people living with type one diabetes, diabetes in general from other Mm -hmm. cultures. And I'm fascinated and I'm so happy that you're able to use the technology that is available to you and the insulin that is available to you to really best manage your disease. No, and we look forward to having you in South Africa. Don't forget (laughs) to visit all the places, not just Cape Town, all the places. (laughs) And I'm going to have to bring extra insulin to try that, whatever you talked about as a traditional food, because all I can think about is, okay, how many units of insulin would that be for me? Because you count carbs. (laughs) I do. I count carbs on the good days. Yeah. It's carb guessing most of the time, but yeah. Well, you'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I'll be around good people that know exactly what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. As I wrap up, I want to remind you that I'm here for my diabetes and the medical community. So feel free to contact me at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. Yes, I'm alive One minor inconvenience A little thing called diabetes Is the daily grind and the daily grind And it grinds and grinds and grinds and grinds You got to watch what you eat